Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. And here we are. We are live on a new Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. You're very welcome. This is Sean Martin, your host, and I am joined today by two guests, uh, Dr. Rebecca Wynn and Gail Anders. Today's topic is twofold, and we're going to talk about is it, is it really two folds or are they one, one and the same? Business continuity and disaster recovery. And I want to thank everybody for joining us uh, live for this uh, for this live stream. And if you're listening to the uh, podcast later, thanks for uh, joining us there as well. Um, very quickly, I want to introduce the guest, uh, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. If you could take a moment to give us a view into who you are and, and what you're up to, and then we'll take it over to you, Gail. Thank you. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, global CISO, cyber strategist, CIO, CISO consultant for many different companies from government sector, retail, finance, legal, and healthcare. And I enjoy going ahead and passing my knowledge and forward to other people and mentoring and doing things along those lines. I'm also serve on many boards, Cyber um, Wire. Um, I'm on Cyber Ed Board. I'm on ISSP, excuse me, ISA Ethics Board, several other boards that way. So follow me on LinkedIn, see what I'm up to and doing. Gail, what about you? Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Gail Anders. I'm currently the Global Business Continuity Program Manager over here at uh, Netflix. I'm based out of Los Angeles. Uh, married 19 years, got two kids. I recently retired from the Marine Corps after 20 years of service. I served as in the infantry during that time. Uh, so a couple combat deployments, lots of humanitarian security deployments. So I got a pretty robust uh, level of understanding at the tactical level, the operational and the strategic level and, you know, planning and, you know, uh, working out all those things before the event happens. And that kind of led me into, you know, getting my master's degree in emergency management. And now I'm, you know, I'm 100% committed to business continuity. I love it. And it's, uh, it's an honor to have both of you on. Um, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking that it doesn't have to be a catastrophe we're trying to protect against, right? Because if there's a lot of little incidents that could throw the business out of whack and and at, at best make it inefficient, at worst, end up in a catastrophe. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be a single event, I think, 
that that demonstrates or represents uh, an issue that has to be dealt with. But I guess the, the first question, and maybe I'll take this to you, uh, Rebecca, is I cap- capture this as business continuity and disaster recovery. Are those two separate things? Do they overlap? Is it one thing? Uh, your, your view of that to kick this off. Well, business continuity is happening all the time. And so generally when we go ahead and we talk about business continuity, we're always talking about we have an event happen that went ahead and took your whole company offline for some reason. Maybe that's, you know, there's a bomb scare, maybe there's, you know, warfare, maybe the power grid went off and things like that. And all of a sudden you don't have business continuity, but people need to mind every single moment of the day, you were dealing with business continuity in some fashion. When usually when we're talking about disaster recovery, we're talking about really from the tech side. Our systems are down. How do we get them back up? How do we get communications? How do we go ahead and get to our file servers? Things along those lines. So for me, that's the way I think I'm on simplistically, but not the tech book version. Gail, you're you're the one who has the certifications in there. What do you guys um, say about that? Yeah, thank you. So I would say that business continuity and disaster recovery are getting harder and harder to differentiate. Uh, the line in the sand, I feel like, you know, just talking to some colleagues was a lot more clear, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But now everything that we're doing with, with business requires some type of technology and a lot of technology for uh, a lot of different things. You know, banks are turning into technology companies and that's a huge dynamic and that's a huge change. Um, but, you know, business continuity, people are always asking, like, you know, they're always confused. But when I say, hey, I do business continuity. But that reality, we are always doing it every time to what Rebecca said, you know, if you're a manager and you're planning for, you know, vacation for your, your workers and, you know, working out the scheduling and making sure somebody's going to be on call, whatever the case is, that's business continuity. You just don't call it that. You just call that managing a schedule, right? So just being able to clarify that and give that clarity to the situation, um, you know, helps define what is disaster recovery and what is business continuity. So does it, is it a matter of because I always feel that when we when we start talking about risk, it's what bad things can happen, and hopefully how can we prevent them from happening and minim- minimize the impact if they do. Is is it the case that business continuity is more about the positive? What are we trying to accomplish, and and how do we ensure that that actually happens? To your point, Gail, is it? It's it's kind of the stuff we do day to day, right? So how how do we define business continuity different from or separate from uh, disaster recovery? So I think if you look at the the business activities, the processes that you do, uh, and now let's put it on paper. So what are our capabilities? What are we supposed to be doing? So and, and I don't mean from an organizational level. This can be at the team or the department level. But what is what are the expectations from our department? Okay, now how do I ensure I'm able to meet these expectations regardless of what the environment looks like? And what could what are the risks that are associated with what could stop me from doing the things that I need to be able to do? So you just you know throw that on a sheet of paper and now let's account for these. You know, what's the probability of these things? And we don't have to get very scientific with it, but it's just a conversation like, hey, regardless of what type of disruption occurs. How are we going to recover from it or respond to it? Uh, so, you know, and then as you go through this, this process and you're starting the documentation, uh, later on you can organize it and now you have your business continuity plan for, and that's scalable and, you know, uh, for any level of the organization. 
And to, to expand on that, what we're really talking about is that every business unit department, you should have your own business continuity plan. What am I going to do if this happens? And that can roll up actually into full corporate. So what does that look like? I end up having, we have COVID and we have, you know, I just lost 50% of my workforce. Now what? I end up having a bunch of my employees are burned out and they just left. Now what? What am I going to handle that from a personnel standpoint? My budget just got cut in half. What am I going to be, how am I going to handle that? Those are the type of things we look for from a business continuity standpoint. So it's not only about how am I going to handle technology, but how am I going to handle my people? How am I have a capacity? What happens if, if we literally can't get to our resources, if you're a call center operations, for example, and you actually, because something has happened either internally to your company or maybe how you connect to the internet, that has just gone offline for a few hours. What do you do? Do you not do any work for those four hours, even though you can't maybe do outbound calls? Or instead, your business continuity plan might be, now we're going to shift and do that training that we have two hours or four hours of training. So what is your backup plan? You know, we both come from a military background. I supported the military for six years. Thank you for your service, scale. But what was the backup to the backup to the backup, right? If you cannot go ahead and say, hey, how do we get to those resources? So we have them in an intranet versus an, an extranet. So I can go ahead in that training. Do I have them in paper form just in case? What can you do with that other time to go ahead and have your business keep moving forward and be smart use of your time? Those are type things that you can use on a unit level and not be necessarily directed as a complete corporate level to do that. There's just one example on how you can make that work. Yeah, and I'm wondering, as you're talking, both of you are talking, I'm just thinking that there, there's so much in there because we're talking about the people, right? We're talking about the operations. We're talking about technology supporting that. And, and obviously the money to support all of that. And we talked about... A, a break in any of those or a change in any of those could impact how we how we function and i'm wondering how does an organization because gail or rebecca you mentioned each department should have its own plan uh, even then it, it can be overwhelming in my opinion to capture all of that information how do teams and business units start that process um, and is that like a living document a growing document how does that kind of work so let me start, Gail, because I can pass it to you to do all the details, but you should always start by a business impact assessment. And what you want to do is you want to look at the different areas that are going to impact your business as a whole, but also impact you as a business unit. What is your dependencies on other departments, for example? What about like what I just said when I talk about, do you have internet services? Do you have telephone services? What do you have that actually impacts you? Are you, you know, you have to worry about earthquakes. You have to worry about fires. You have to worry about an active threat that you might end up being exposed to a nefarious person out there. Those are different things, but you always need to start with a business impact assessment. And when's the last time you did that? I would tell you if, you, if it's on a piece of paper and no one reviews it, it's not there to protect you. That's the difference between having checkbox security, compliance, business continuity, disaster recovery, as I had it on a piece of paper to pass an audit, versus I have this so I actually can have a great impact. Think about that you're, you're playing, right now we're playing basketball, you're playing basketball. There's a difference between being on the stands and actually watching everybody play and actually having to get into the field and actually be able to do things. Business continuity is a living document, disaster recovery is a living document, incident response is a living document, but you have to be able to make sure it's gonna work for your company and you need to be able to go ahead and practice that day to day for your company, do mock drills and things like that. 
Gail, I'll give it to you so you can walk them through what that really looks like on how to do that effectively. No, absolutely. Thank you. And so, you know, one thing that we do before we even get to the business impact analysis is what is critical? What are the critical things that this company is expected to do? And, you know, at Netflix, it's streaming. So, you know, you have this, I'll just use Netflix as an example, but, you know, you have Netflix as a streaming company. It's located in, you know, every, um, you know, in five different regions around the world. And we do a lot of different things within the organization. So identifying what, what is critical. And, you know, one of the first things we identified is what does Netflix do? Well, we stream content. So let's start with the streaming team and anybody else that's involved with streaming and start the business impact analysis on them to identify like what are those what are those critical things that they depend on you know to Rebecca's point about dependencies we look at upstream dependencies because we want to know what feeds the critical assets and so that if we highlight that there is a critical uh, dependency there that if this one thing goes out it affects these 12 different teams then we we want to how do we make increased resilience for that asset or how do we increase resilience for this team so that we can minimize the amount of disruptions we have. So identifying criticality uh, or critical teams, critical processes, assets, whatever the case may be. And then once you identify those critical uh, entities, then you do the business impact analysis. You figure out what it is, what really goes into it. Um, um, and then how do I increase the resiliency or make sure that it can recover, respond to whatever the disruptions may be. And again, to, you know, to what Rebecca was talking about, all of these are living, breathing documents because as companies acquire companies and as teams are brought onto companies, that might change how you, uh, how your table of organization is managed or how your dependencies are related to each other. And so how, how does the information get extracted and then captured? Is it a team effort? Is there a program manager? Everything looks like a project to me. I'm a program manager at, at the core. Uh, so I'm wondering, how, how does that get developed? Is it multiple parts from multiple departments all come together in a bigger document? What's that process? Maybe, Gail, you, you start and then Rebecca can chime in. Absolutely. So without guidance or intent from executive leadership, I always default to the team. So at Netflix is Enterprise Resilience. We have business continuity, technology continuity. The team, we sit down uh, collectively and we discuss these things and we figure out where we want to start with the assessments, what is critical, what is important, and then we provide that to the executive leadership for them to say yes or no. Because if they don't agree with us, that's okay, but just tell me where you want me to start, uh, and then we go and start those those assessments on those different teams or those uh, those assets that we that we own. And if you're a, a medium or small size company, you might not have a team. You know, you might not have the money and the wherewithal to do that. And so one of the things is I always recommend is that you then go ahead and get with a consultant like me or, or an organization that does it specifically. And what they'll do is they'll say, they'll do what Gail's been mentioning. They'll say, you know, what are we trying to deliver as a company, right? It's not just your vision, your goal, but actually what do we really do? And then what we do is you start saying, okay, who are the who are the key departments? One of the things I do is I start, I start looking at my verticals. Do we have maybe three products? Okay, start there. We have three products. And then who would be your key people in those products to talk to? It might always be VP. So those people there are going to be the people who are going to help you determine what's important, not important to that department. I would tell you, just being a technologist, one of the things I also like to do is I look at logs. Where are people going every day? <laughs> what are they going to visit? I have them on my list. I'm still going to vet them with them. I also look and see what applications are they using a lot. You can see that all in your log files. 
And again, if they're just, if they're not needing for business purposes and they keep looking at them, then maybe that's something else you need to see why are people wasting maybe some time to do that. But that's the thing that you need to do as, a, as an individual. Don't always have to make it overcomplicated. And the one thing too to remember as an individual, they don't have a business continuity plan. They don't have it even on paper at all. You, you trying to help them with that, you are making a critical difference. Awareness is always important. But like Elsa too, go ahead and find out who is the person on the executive board or who's the leader in the company who's actually going to be your, your cheerleader, who's actually going to help you get some resources for that. Because that's one thing that's hard. When you're small, medium-sized businesses, a lot of times you're wearing multiple hats at all point in time. A lot of times you have this information, you just need help maybe from an outside consultant or a consulting firm just to put it together for you and help you do that. So remember, you don't have to be a one-person island. Yeah, and I'm wondering how important is storytelling or maybe even painting a picture? Um, because you have you talked about presenting it to the executives, Gail and Rebecca, small, medium businesses. They they probably outsource a lot of their IT and probably even a lot of their security and, and uh, resiliency uh, elements. So the, the conversation can break down between those different ends. So I'm wondering how important storytelling is here's what we do here's here's how that flow works um maybe gail you're you're both shaking your head but gail maybe some thoughts on storytelling picture painting as part of this i think storytelling is absolutely uh important so doing it you know creating good use case uh presentations or a case study presentation of why we should select this piece of technology or this piece of technology or why we should go with this vendor over another vendor, you know, being able to say like, hey, so listen, this is why we, this decision needs to be made. Um, maybe there's a company that does the same thing that you do that just went through a disruption or had an event and you're learning off of their, their experiences so that we don't have to go through those experiences as well. Uh, so anything you can give to the whoever's making that decision that's going to paint the picture of not just the benefits of this tool, but you know, three to five years from now, how is this going to affect the budget? You know, so we lost X amount of dollars due to regulatory fines. Hey, if we implement this control, you know, we can reduce that and we can save all of this money. And, you know, based off how the leader or that individual likes to receive their information, some people get sucked into the dollars. Some people get uh, sucked into uh, billable hours or, you know, uses hours or whatever the case may be. But telling that story and sharing, sharing that journey uh, of how this decision benefits the company, it enables the customers, et cetera. Uh, so storytelling is absolutely important. And I think the other thing is important in that storytelling because we're talking about also supply chain risk, which is part of business continuity, disaster recovery, incident response, crisis management. We're all, we're all partners together. We're all kind of first cousins. But the one thing too, remember, just because you use a cloud service, just because you use someone else to do your managed services, it's a shared model. There's things that they're responsible for, there's things that you're responsible for. And you need to be able to explain it to executives. And that gap, you want to go ahead and you want to show how you're being very mindful and being able to go ahead and fill that gap. And I'll tell you the other thing that we haven't talked about yet, reason two that that's come fortunate is when we talk about cyber liability insurance. Cyber liability insurance is, is not where I'm just going to go ahead and put this on my general liability anymore. They're going in, they're saying, hey, what about your disaster recovery? What about your instrument songs? What about your business continuity? When's the last time it was tested? Show us and prove it. A lot of them now too are even testing your websites and things like that for vulnerabilities and holding you accountable for those good business practices you should have been able to do. 
So those are the type of things that actually tie in that this also affects your premiums on business liability insurance. And if you can get business and sustain business liability insurances. So those are two points I would share from as well too. Besides it is you have a plethora of regulations or requirement. They require it because it's been proven over a period of time what happens if it doesn't happen. But also reminding your executives just because you go ahead and partner with an outside business, it's a shared model. It does not take responsibility away from you to go ahead and make sure that that's being done mindfully. Yeah, if the, if the SAS or the CSP goes down and your business can't run, um, that, that's your problem. <laughs> yeah, right. so, and and so that's why you go ahead and do redundancy. I mean, I was just talking to a company who's literally, they have an MPLS, so the over on the multi-level going into your company, they were going to switch solely over to internet just because it was faster. And I'm like, yeah, but... <laughs> You know, what names of those networks? No, 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 look back at 2020, 2019, 2018, even our top layer architectures have had issues over the years. There's world events as well that cause that. You know, what is your backup plan? That's the other thing that goes into. And I would tell you, if you read a formal business continuity plan, what's it point to? It does go ahead and after it talks about people and all that kind of stuff, it does point to, and by the way, don't forget your disaster recovery plan. Don't, don't forget crisis management. Don't forget incident response. So just because you have a business continuity plan, which is important, think of it as your overall guidance, how we're going to try and keep the business as a whole running. But these other things are just as important and at certain points in time, even more important, um, depending what's going on. Pandemic response, part of crisis management, but it's a subset. So remember, there's always these, we can always drill down these other areas, but don't forget them. Yep. I love that. And I'm, there's a ton of comments coming in and I'm going to get to both the comments and the questions from folks. Thanks for sending those in. But before I do that, a, a quick note from you, Gail, in terms of are there components of a business continuity plan or disaster recovery plan that companies tend to forget? Uh, exercising and testing because <laughs> uh, nobody has time for it, right? We're all busy. We're all um, or, you know, to what Rebecca brought up the point about insurance and transferring risk and no, the vendor is responsible for that or you don't, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, no, have we read the service level agreement? Oh, and by the way, insurance premiums are going up. So now it's going to cost a lot more money to transfer that risk. Um, but the parts that we miss is the tabletop exercises. Uh, you know, people brag about, you know, some of my peers that I attend conferences, they brag about, oh, I manage a thousand plans or I, I track you know, every update that everybody makes to the business continuity plans or recovery plans. Listen, that's, that's great. But uh, what does that really tell you? Like how, how do you measure the effectiveness of your program? How about we put people in a room, we give them a scenario and then we walk through your plan. And then while you're going through that is the facilitation of that exercise or that testing that a lot of companies miss the mark on. So you can't just check the box that we did this tabletop exercise. Do you, do you have an observer that's reading your SOP and identifying where you you break away from the SOP? Like, was that a scenario-based uh, decision or were all of the actions of your team not in alignment with your SOP? And if they are, well, then your SOP needs to get updated because you're breaking away or you're not even following this, which means that when it really matters, when the crisis begins, you're, you're basically just shooting from the hip and that's not the right way to, to facilitate business continuity or to protect your company. And, and way to, to go ahead and to check that out pretty quickly is look at your last 
10, 15 incidents have been recorded as a company. Look at your help desk tickets and read what happened and how they did that. And then was there an after action that they did? So I tell people, you know, one thing about testing business continuity is that's recovery and some response is live time testing as it's happening is not ideal, but it also can work. But what you need to do is you need to be able to, okay, they know what they were supposed to do. Was it documented what they were supposed to do? Did they implement it? How we documented that we thought that was going to happen? And then how are we measuring and managing that going forward? And are we taking lessons learned to improve the process? That's what it's all about. If you can document all them all the time and think about it, it's always a constant thing. Then ideally, then what you can do is you can have a third party come in and then have some really unique situations that you haven't seen yet as a company. That's how I like to use them. You know, give me that scenario that I have not seen yet in this company. So then we can go ahead and have that muscle memory in case that happens to us too. Because right now we're always a little reactionary. Remember reactionary, captured correctly, does go ahead and can train your team well. But you want to get to the point where they do that really well and that you're hopefully sure that that doesn't happen again. But then you can go ahead and have these tabletop exercises train you for that next thing that you haven't seen even yet. Use them that way. Use them smartly. And Gail, maybe your thoughts on this because I have a question from the from uh, the audience here, the best approach to testing. And, and Gail, you said live isn't ideal, but I, I would imagine there's some value in us, even if it's a small incident, just running through the plan on that small incident, not waiting for the disaster to happen. So maybe, uh, Gail, your thoughts on uh, the best approach to testing. No, absolutely. So documentation, recording all the incidents, you know, Rebecca talked about, you know, looking through the logs and referencing that material. Uh, but as you deal with the little, the little uh, small breaks here and there, like documenting that starting an incident management uh, logbook, so to speak of, hey, so at this time, this happened at this time, these actions were taking at this time, you know, this was communicated to whatever the party may be. Uh, but going watching the team respond to small incidents, will tell you if we are prepared for a big disruption. Because if we can't do the small things well, then when it really breaks, we're gonna have a significant issue here. Uh, so in regards to testing, like having a specific set of metrics of what exactly, what's our, what's our objectives for this test or this exercise that we are doing? And here's- Is that measured like, in time, Gail? Sorry to interrupt, but is it- Oh, good. Um, we're able to do that with the team we had in place and we didn't, we didn't lose control or is it we responded to this incident in a matter of hours versus days? What, what are those metrics? So time and monetary loss. So as, as time is going, then we are losing money. Uh, if there's a disruption for a, one of the assets that we a critical asset that we depend on, uh, you know, the metrics of testing and, you know, how, how fast did we respond to it? How fast did we resolve it? Uh, how fast did we communicate it up? Uh, could, could, you know, understanding what is my threshold, right? So what point do I elevate this situation to a, 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 uh, a more capable team or somebody outside of my department so that we can resolve this uh, as fast as, uh, as quickly as possible? Now, Rebecca, I'm interested in your perspective on that because I would imagine that you have SLAs. <laughs> service yeah, level as I said, yeah, you need to look at your service level agreements. That's, that's how long you're allowed to be out. Um, and down. And one thing that I tell people 
looks like, look, I'm spinning. Sorry, wait until you spin. Talk about technology, right? My upstream's controlling that, not me. That's right. Um, but one of the things that you need to look at it is, like I did this real recently with the company, is they were doing snapshots, they were doing backups, great. But then I started looking at the architecture and then I started looking at how that data flows to do those backups. And man, as they kept going through different pipes, get smaller and smaller. I mean, they're at like, then like, it seemed like eight kilobytes per second. It was like, oh my God, it's taking you guys 28 hours for this really to have a full snapshot of everything. I'm like, wait, you know, and then when I did my math and went back and looked at it, they were actually lost four hours every day. So four hours with the data was lost. And then obviously there's something else going on. It's not always about the data centers. Is there a better way to be able to do these snapshots to recover even quicker? And it's time to recovery, right? And how long you can actually be out as a company. Those are the metrics you want to take a look at. So when you talk about where do we even start, is it debt flowing? That's the most important thing for you. You're like Netflix, you're like a bank. Are you hospitals that have to do healthcare? If certain systems went down, you could go to pen and paper for a short period of time. You're not going to tell somebody that you can't check for a pulse waiting on a piece of equipment, for example. So how long really can your company actually be down and not work? If you're looking for HR, when you talk about like an HR, what's a way for HR to look at stuff? I always look at people's run books. What, and a lot of times people have mini run books. That's really your processes and how you're going to do things. And I say HR, boom. Our phone system just went down and we critically have to talk to our, our everybody in the company. How do we do that? Well, we just go to the file server and we grab the file there. And I'm like, we, we can't access the file system. Oh, well, is there another way? Is there a, another place that we keep the call tree very secure in case we had to communicate out to everybody? But no, we can't grab to that share on the file server. And no, you can't use the corporate phone for some reason. How are we going to do that? And then when I tell people, they say, well, Janie has it. Okay, we have said Janie's on vacation. What's the backup to Janie? Oh, Margaret. Oh, yeah. Shoot, Margaret. Shoot, she doesn't even work here anymore. So sometimes just taking something a little small like that and start working through and saying their internal run books, do they actually work? Some people, a lot of people call them run books. They might just say, hey, how would you do it? And sometimes just having those little conversations, again, it's a tabletop exercise and another way to do it, just having another conversation. So that's what I tell people, you can build in these things in a lot of different ways, especially if you're a small, medium company. If you're not going to be able to plan a time that, hey, we're going to be able to sit here and do these tabletop exercises really formally with getting everybody in the room. Um, I think that answered your question um, that was in there about business continuity and disaster recovery. How do you know the work? You need to really go ahead and look at those little run books and see if they work. And the one thing I tell people, don't beat people up. People who wrote that, time, resource, and money, and who was present at the time, it's just, does it work today? And it's okay. Now that we know, let's go ahead and update that to what works today. And guess what? Three months ago, three months down the road, or six months ago, or nine months, nine months down the road, you're going to probably have to do it again because things are going to slightly change. It's okay; it's a living document. And whatever uh, James has a question here, what? And I'll just paraphrase it: What are the triggers <laughs> that say we need an update? Is it people leaving? Is it we acquired a company? Is it we swapped out one one cloud provider for another? What What are those triggers, Gail? 
so I think that's a, that's a part of the business continuity plan that you have to identify. So at what point do we update this plan? Uh, if we shift offices, do I update my plan? Absolutely. If I bring on a new team member, do I update my plan? Maybe not, but do they know about the plan? Uh, do they have a access to the run cards or the smart books or whatever they're going to be using? Um, so I think that's where uh, you just have to have that conversation and figure out when, you know, what triggers it. Some of it are automated. Some of it with the tools that we use, uh, if the plan is more than six months old, a little, you know, shiny light goes off and I reach out to that team and tell them, hey, I think you need to update your plan or, you know, what, what's going on with this or whatever the case may be. Let me just tell you, for, for small or medium-sized companies, we don't don't always have money for a lot of the tools. A lot of times it's Janie or Mark or Sam who does it. Um, when you look at PCI, you look at HIPAA, you look at a lot of the other frameworks of your SLA, they'll say that you will review these policies and procedures at least annually and update them and you'll update them if there's any other critical updates. What would be a critical update? One, if you had, you just flipped out your architecture, you just flipped out your cloud service, you're no longer in Azure, you're in, in Google Cloud. So, uh, something along those lines, Google Cloud, Missouri um, would be triggers. If you have call trees in there on who you contact, you no longer have a CTO. If they go to that book, remember, they go ahead and they say, what am I supposed to do in this disaster recovery? And you say, I'm supposed to contact a CTO and you don't have that position anymore. You, you just put yourself as a stop. So look at, look at those items. Critical infrastructure changes inside there, critical um, changes in personnel in there. And most regulations or SLAs will say that you're gonna go ahead and review that and update it at least annually. But as we said, there's critical updates. You should be looking at that. I personally, if I have a company that's highly in flux, I don't change every nanosecond, but I will maybe be going ahead and changing that every three months if we have a lot of changes. The one thing I don't want to do is I don't want us to have that critical event. And then someone goes to those playbooks, business continuity, disaster recovery, incident response, crisis management, pandemic response, that is your playbook. And none of it's relevant. Remember that is game time. That is what you're going to use. So use your judgment a little bit there. And I want to I want to touch on that because you, you just mentioned a bunch of books, <laughs> run books, that kind of fall out of, and they probably have their own life separate from uh, disaster recovery and business continuity, incident response. Uh, certainly, they they inter interconnect with each other. So I'm wondering how these plans that we're talking about impact the rest of the ops so it ops sec ops dev ops um, hr ops <laughs> pick, pick your favorite ops that that gets impacted how how do you organize and coordinate with those teams in an effective way that the downstream stuff stays current and connected to what matters from a business continuity perspective gail so are you asking how do we how do we create a cohesiveness between all the departments within an organization and maintain the integrity of their individual plans to support the company's overall plan? Exactly. Okay, well, I check in with them. Uh, that's the first thing, you have to be social. If you're in business continuity, disaster recovery, and you're an introvert and you don't like talking to people and socializing, uh, I would argue, maybe submit to say that you might be in the wrong industry uh, because we don't have any of the authority to tell people what to do. We have to have that social connection that interaction and I have to make them believe that what they are doing is in the best interest of their for their position, for their department and for the overall success of the company, right? Because uh, I'm not doing this because I think it's a great idea. I'm doing this because I want the company to be successful. I want that team to be successful. So 
you figure out where where who has what plans start with who have what are the compliance requirements and that's what i want to talk to you first are we in compliance with whatever the standards are with it whatever the regulations may be all right check we got that all right we've already done our critical stuff and then just set up a rotation uh, uh a cadence so to speak of every month i'm checking in with these three departments every quarter i'm checking in with these four departments whatever that may be uh to provide them that assistance that they may need and either updating their plans, maintaining the integrity of their plans. And as you do your assessments with these different departments, you have conversations and now you start hearing new teams or departments being mentioned of, they're increasing their engagements with them. So now that that becomes a dependency, right? And is that dependency, if one team falls out, is this other team gonna fail too? Or are they gonna be able to maintain their levels of uh, capabilities, you know? And again, I look at this as a as a big project. And if you're a big organization like Netflix, you have the luxury, quote unquote, luxury, <laughs> to have one or more people looking at this holistically and and hopefully driving driving that throughout the organization. As you get smaller, fewer resources, uh, Rebecca, it becomes a little more difficult. And what I'm trying to figure out is how how do we get from the business continuity story to functional tactical elements that the actual business has to deal with day to day how do we do how do we manage that translation uh, down to the how, teams how i manage is i manage under enterprise risk management so i manage under the costco framework that's also part of high trust that's also part of the NIST cybersecurity framework and many other frameworks if you do it more as part of enterprise risk management our strategy and how to go ahead and try to maintain the amount of risk that the company is willing to accept, build it underneath there, right? Because enterprise risk management is about finance, it's about people, it's about supply chain risk, it's about all of that. Business continuity is trying to help you keep everybody on the same page on doing that. So this what says business continuity in of itself Business continuity in itself to me is really the overlying wrapper. There's a lot of things that go underneath it, right? Business yeah, continuity. I was going to ask how which, are you going to keep which one is the wrapper? <laughs> yeah, business continuity is the wrapper. It, that's how I see it. You know, sorry if you if you feel a little differently, but business continuity person's not going to tell me how I need to go about fixing those technology issues. It's going to say, "Hey, you guys have that on your radar, right?" Yes. Right. So it tries to make sure that everybody is, is on the playing field. Hey, HR, have you done this? Hey, pandemic, you guys good? Hey, crisis management, you guys are good? It's the overall wrapper that we say business continuity to keep the business keep running. Each of those other areas have the responsibility to make sure that if a technology goes down, you can go back up, right? If supply chain goes down, we can go back up. If all of a sudden I lose half the re the you know the workforce to do some other new pandemic what are we going to do from a workforce standpoint business continuity is not going to handle that for you what it is that's going to be hr and some other people about how can we leverage additional people how quickly can we go ahead and get other forces how quickly can we go ahead and get multi you know some sort of managed service provider to augment our staff business continuity is not going to be doing that for you those departments are going to be doing that for you but they're there to partner to remind you that you need to be to do that and get you and help you maybe in that argument to go ahead and get more budget in that area. Gail, I probably stepped on your toes a little bit, but sorry. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think business continuity is the wrapper. 
that maintains the integrity of the company or the organization, right? Uh, you know, you, I, I was smiling because you brought the point of uh, business continuity people not making, you know, technology-based questions, right? And so I, I spent a lot of time talking to engineers and it's, it's challenging for me because when I use certain terms, they, they take it as an understanding to mean a, something completely different. When I, for example, when I speak about risk, they want to know the specific scenario. They want to know the specific mm -hmm. conditions. They want to know the very, very, like the granular details. I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't care why the disruption is occurring. I'm just asking you, if you can't access AWS or Amazon Web Services, or you can't access uh, the Google platform, are you able to continue doing what you do? And if the answer is no, then let's talk about how do we maintain that, right? That, that uh, the level of capability you're giving to the company. And uh, I love all of this. And is there an opportunity and have you seen uh, cases where incident response says disaster recovery says business continuity can't function this way because there's just too much exposure. So we need to not rely on on-prem so much or a single cloud service provider or we need to change the way we're doing business. We need to change the way we're building the operations for the build business so that we don't just find ourselves trying to constantly deal with disasters. I don't know if that's a, if I put that clearly or not, but any, any thoughts on the, we, we talked a lot about, we want business continuity. How do we ensure that? And I'm wondering, is there an opportunity from bottom up to say we can have business continuity if we do di things differently and business continuity looks differently because of that? So I, I call that bottom-up refinement, and I believe that, you know, if you want to do the best of your ability, before you make a policy, before you put anything into, into like, hey, this plan is not certified, have socialized documents so that others can have an opinion on it and put their two cents into it. Because if you're making a decision from a department level, but the frontline support that are going to be facilitating those actions are not trained, so whatever, your life safety plan everybody's going to be trained in CPR. Great, but that's not actually the reality. Like nobody's trained in CPR for whatever the, the specific uh, topic may be. So getting that bottom-up refinement, okay, wow, okay, so now we need to include training as a part of our business continuity plan and make sure that people have the appropriate uh, training and certifications for whatever we expect them to have. Uh, so having that bottom-up refinement can ensure that when you do finally put this thing out there and publish it, that it's going to be adhered to and it's something that everybody can digest and follow without uh, limiting or restricting other people. Rebecca? Yeah, and that's really you're talking about your continuity plan, right? The example you gave there is really under technology, continuity plan, on what is the best way to go ahead and have our te technology running to do the services that we need to do. My point of view on that is, is if it's on-prem or if it's in multiple clouds, technology is trying to deliver. I would never listen to business continuity tell me how I should be doing that business. I would look to business continuity to tell them I got it and, and this is what we're doing. So business um, continuity is not your advisor on how you run your how you run the business. They're checking that we're running the business in the way that the business has authorized us to run business. Think of it as an audit function. That's the way I look at it. And look at them that help you also from the government stand, governance standpoint, because we do have SLAs, we have government regulations, stuff like that. 
do you guys have basically an independent auditor kind of make sure you guys have these things in place obviously certain people in those those positions can be great um you know team members of yours and help you along those lines but they're not the, they're not the technologists to make sure that, that stuff gets done they're not hr hr has a responsibility to make sure that they're following the rules and regulations of hr and they're delivering things very mindfully finance has a responsibility to make sure that they're doing the regulations or doing things mindfully business continuity is there to, to check in and make sure that you're doing what we say we're going to do and how we're going to do it and so they can go ahead and report that in but don't ever look to them individually on its third responsibility, it's technology's responsibility, it's HR's responsibility, it's finance responsibility, for example, it's procurement's responsibility. Still your responsibility, they're there as really an audit function and then help to support you, maybe help support you get resources, things along those lines. And also, let's face it, also help us report out to those other government regulations so we don't have to do it. Yeah, Gail, fantastic. go back to you in case you want to rebuttal on that one. <laughs> No, I, I, yes, the subject matter experts should be the ones making the decisions as to how they're going to respond to and recover from disruptions. The business continuity professional is simply there just to, hey, here's a friendly reminder. I, you know, when's the last time you looked at the assets in your inventory? Uh, do we have the appropriate people identified for the response teams? Those things that Rebecca is talking about, uh, th those are true. So yes, I look at it as an internal audit function as well, uh, just to keep the integrity of the company. This has been really good. I know we before we started, we uh, Rebecca, you talked about golden nuggets. I, I think there, there's certainly a few in here for folks to to take with them. Uh, we're at the 45 minute mark here, roughly, and uh, I want to thank you both for for uh, sharing your insights and your experience with us, and for the folks that listened and, and watched us live and and uh, asked you questions, which you uh, so eloquently answered you got some great feedback great food for thoughts and and uh and uh awesome thank you uh comments here from folks so um i'm going to give you each an opportunity any final golden nugget thought that you want to share with folks to get started things to avoid whatever whatever's on your mind Rebecca? i just tell people you're not an island you're not by yourself you know we're in a cyber war at all points in time all of us and they just have to be successful once and we have to be successful all the time. So reach out to other people in the industry and get assistance where you need to. Remember, keeping the business live and functioning, business continuity, business running at all points in time, is an all the time thing. It's not a checkbox thing. Love it, Gail? Yes, uh, so the, one of the biggest things for me is decentralized decision-making. Uh, so. As you're doing these tabletop exercises and you're helping people write plans and review their plans, one of the things I always like to ask is, who makes what decisions and when are those decisions made? Okay, great, so we've captured that. Now, at what point can the individual that's three levels below you, can they make that decision? And how do we empower them to make that decision? And all this really comes down to is responding to disruptions. Because if I'm responding to a disruption and my immediate action is to call my supervisor you know, to Rebecca's point, if my supervisor's on vacation, am I aware of what I'm supposed to do? Uh, how do I get to the next level, right? Uh, so if that individual is, if they're aware of the plans, they know what they're supposed to do, then the, they can make the appropriate decisions and they can reduce the amount of time that that disruption is affecting, you know, the asset, the department, or the company. I love it. And I mean, this is such a broad topic. Um, 
we could spend hours on this and I, I want to thank you both again for uh, bringing this down to the operational elements here and I think we covered business ops down to down to tech ops in, in uh, pretty good fashion and uh, yep thank you both for that I, again thanks everybody for listening and watching live today uh, the next live stream I have two in April coming both around identity and access management uh, April 4th is identity management and authentication and April 18th is secure access and authorization uh, lots to discuss in both of those um, Dr. Rebecca Wynn Thank you so much, Gail Anders. Thank you. We'll see you all on the next Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.NET. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.